0: Thanks, Amy, for that uh, reading. Uh, Also, just another reminder about the future forum uh, that we're going to be having on the 17th of September. Um, So that'll be following our service. We'll go out, grab some morning tea, and then come back and and have an opportunity to chat. Uh, You might recall a couple of uh, weeks ago when we started the series, we had a whiteboard out here. Some of you may not have been able to read what was on the whiteboard, but we were able to engage with what was said. And so we're going to be talking about some of those things uh, that were raised on that whiteboard in that future forum and to have some time to pray together. Well, it's great to be able to share with you today. If you haven't met me already, my name's David, I'm one of the ministers here and it's uh, a real privilege to be able to share with you from God's Word. Uh, we are continuing our series, as Terry mentioned, about living values and we're up to our sixth instalment. Uh, if, and if you've missed out on any of the previous Uh, messages that we've uh, taught about the living values on the Sermon on the Mount, then we would encourage you to go to the website and you can look on the website under sermons and podcasts, you can go to our Facebook page. If you don't have that sort of technology, let us know on the response cards and we will uh, be able to organise a CD for you and you can have a listen to it on CD. Last week, Matt looked at the value of being a person of your Word and I really appreciated uh, the challenging reminder about the breakdown of uh, marriages and the effects that that has but also where it stems from and that a breakdown of marriage starts with a breakdown in our hearts and that the effects of that we can see through the court system and the breakdown of relationships but it's a heartfelt issue, it's an issue that starts in our heart and, and I was reminded once again and I was challenged about how do I best honour the vows that I took 27 years ago, 27 years ago actually next month, um, when I married Mary and how I need to live that out every day of my life. So if you missed last week's message, it's a great investment of 30 minutes of your time, have a listen. You have heard it said, well let's test that theory for a moment shall we you have heard it said well what about this a saying made famous by robert f kennedy don't get mad get even all right you know that one okay what about this other one that was made popular by eugene sue revenge is a dish best served cold that's right What about this one? Those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And an eye for an eye. Any idea where the last one comes from? An eye for an eye? It comes from the Bible. Yep. And it was a law that was given to the Hebrew nation as they were coming out of Egypt in Exodus 21 we find it referenced again in Leviticus 24 and Deuteronomy 19. So let's read the occasion in Exodus 21 verses 23 and 25 and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The words are on the screen. If you've got your Bible, I invite you to turn to it as well if you like but we will be looking more directly at Matthew. But if there is further injury, the punishment must match the injury. A life for a life... An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. The Latin term for this is called lex talionis or the law of retaliation and is often considered as being an appropriate level of payback you did X, whatever that X might be, you did this to me, so I will retaliate, I will do the same to you. Justifying the punishment, and it's consistent with Kennedy's call to get even. But rather than being commonly seen as an instruction to match fire with fire, the idea was to set an upper limit on what was an appropriate um, and a um, not just an automatic but a justifiable response of payback. Now one of the things to be, bear in mind when we're thinking about this, an eye for an eye, a tooth for the tooth, a bruise for a bruise, those sorts of things, is that in the surrounding nations where the Israelites, the, the Hebrew nation were moving into, there are occasions where the punishment would outweigh the crime and, and the Hebrews were guilty of this in their ancestry as well. One of those occasions is recorded in Genesis 34, when Dina was raped by Shechem. And so in response to a rape, Simeon and Levi slaughtered all the men in the town, not just Shechem. Actions condemned by Jacob Simeon and Levi's father. He said, You've gone to, you've brought this, this whirlwind of trouble on us because of your, your overdoing the punishment. The Code of Hammurabi, which was around 1800 BC, I wasn't there at the time when it was done, but, um, it describes the punishment for wrong that was graded on a basis of your status, one of your, your social standing in society. If a slave injured a free man or a superior, there was a higher punishment for their crime than if it was a slave to a slave or a free man to a free man. So there was these differences based on your social standing. And so when we think of how response, when we think about the codes of the day, the lex talionis, an eye for an eye, was actually a positive way to prohibit a disproportionate response, to level the playing field as it were. Those who were rich or more powerful had the same rule of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth applied to them as any poor person would or any foreigner. If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 5. As we see in the um, other verses from Matthew chapter 5, we discover that there was, behind some of the issues that Jesus was wanting to address, this disfigured heart, as it were. And Jesus wanted to confront that heart. And once again, in this section that we're looking at today, over the years, rather than it being an eye for an eye as being the limit to set the upper echelon, the, the highest that you could go... It was seen as the benchmark, the standard, the automatic response that someone would make, a literal application. You hurt my eye, I'm going to hurt your eye. You hurt my tooth, I'm going to hurt your tooth. And in all of that, the heart of grace was absent. So with hundreds of years of distorted interpretation and the application of eye for an eye as something... That was originally intended to help and only caused so much hurt. It was time for Jesus to set things right. So in Matthew chapter 5, 38 to 42, we read Jesus calling out to his audience You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, Do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away those who want to borrow." For way too long, paybacks were used as a tool of the trade to teach people lessons. But here, Jesus calls us to take a different approach, an approach that reflects a different economic response to being wronged. Rather than demanding your rights as a person under the law, Jesus calls his followers to go above and beyond the law through grace and forgiveness with society around Jesus valuing relationships and offences with such a low standard of expectation, Jesus calls his followers to do so much more. Putting their rights, their expectations and their cultural responses to one side and shift from the economy of getting even to a path of non-resistance someone slaps you on the cheek, offer without hesitation the other. If someone takes you to court, suing you for almost everything that you have, shock them by giving them so much more. If you're oppressed and unjust burdens are placed on you, your boss is and Terry was talking about living out values in the work situation, your boss demands that you do more than just extra hours, then you go that much further. Just as we have been the recipients of unmerited grace, here Jesus calls us to respond to others who seek to do us an injustice rather than and they seek to take advantage of us and to respond with the same surprising depth and breadth of grace that we have experienced. To turn the other cheek, to give your coat, to go the extra mile. After all, don't we have this supreme example in the life of Jesus himself, who in each of the Gospels accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, who in Isaiah 53 verse 7, it describes him as... um, this this man who is oppressed, treated harshly, yet never said a word, for he was like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. So if we are to be Jesus' followers, then in the toughest of times, we are to dig deep, not resist evil, and turn the other cheek or does it? You see, one of the things that we, we need to grapple with is that elsewhere we have the Bible teach us to resist evil. In James chapter 4 verse 7, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And if Jesus never resisted evil and the advancement of evil, then his ministry would only have lasted a few days rather than three years he would have been thrown off the cliff in Luke chapter 4 when he was mobbed by an angry crowd what is often forgotten in reading the the crucifixion of Jesus over and over the back of Matthew chapter 5 and all the aspects of turning the other cheek is that in doing so we can often fail to understand that within the overarching context of John chapter 10 verses 14 to 18, where we read these words, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me, just as my Father knows me and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me, I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what the Father has commanded. Jesus intentionally went to the cross to die for our sins and to rise again to bring us new life. This was not the behaviour of some passive participant with a fatalist approach to not resisting evil, nor was Jesus just prepared to resist evil. Jesus went to the cross to overcome evil So how else can we understand Matthew chapter 5 and turning the other cheek in light of a wider understanding of Jesus' life and the lives of those who followed him like Paul whom we read about and heard the reading of earlier. First we need to place ourselves back within the culture of Jesus' day the context of Jesus' teaching in and, and understand what's going on, and the presenting of the values of having a kingdom economy approach, turning the values of the day upside down, as it were, as this seems to be. Jesus' attention is drawn to his audience, who knew the meaning of what it, what it was to be oppressed. Jesus here is directing his teaching. To those who often find themselves powerless, low down on the rungs of Jewish society but also within the wider context of living in a land that was occupied by the Roman Empire. So when the audience has their cheek struck, it is by someone that is considered to be their superior. And they, with their cheeks stinging in pain, are encouraged by Jesus to respond differently, even when they are perceived by that person as being inferior. Israel, can I have you stand up? I I want to give an active example of striking the cheek. (laughs) Not quite. So, So, which is your right cheek? Do you know your left and right? But you've got two right cheeks. So the right cheeks here. So if I was to use my right hand to strike Israel's right cheek, I'm going to use the back of my hand to do so. Now, if Israel turns his face to me to to present his other cheek, what happens? So you turn that way. So it's, it's pretty awkward for me to strike with the back of my hand to the left cheek. What I need to do is to go, instead of a backward motion, it's a forward motion or it's either with the, the front of the palm of the hand or with the clenched fist to hit his face. Thanks, we, will, we won't go any further than that. And because the left hand in Hebrew culture is unclean, Jesus' audience understood that the, the, uh, the person being struck was being struck by the right hand. So the right hand onto the right cheek was a backhanded, a, a backhanded response. It was a, a response of someone that, in my position as being the striker, I was seeing myself as the superior. And the person I was striking, I was deeming as being my inferior. So when we consider turning the other cheek, it changes the economy of what is going on. It changes things from being a disciplinary action to being a form of assault. Turning the other cheek allows for a second blow to occur, this time to the left cheek, but it also shifted the balance to have the other cheek to be uh, engaged with in that way was to move it to a fist or the front of the hand, as I said before, to be a, a slap across the face. The recipient was choosing, hey listen, I'm not going to be someone that you can treat as your inferior. Rather, if you want to address me in this way, then you address me as your equal. If you strike me again, you strike me as someone who is equal to you in status. And so that would be quite confronting to the person who is doing the striking To suddenly think, hang on, if I go again, I can't lord it over them, I can't um, be powerful over them, they are saying, if you want to do this again, you do it as, and, and address me as your equal. But it also moved it from being a disciplinary action to being an act of an assault. In other words, your attempt to humiliate me didn't work, but my... Cheeky response is that I refuse to cooperate with your insult and allow you to have your intended result. Three choices were available to the recipient of the strike. To acquiesce. I am inferior to you. I will not resist you. You have your way. You can treat me unjustly. The other response was: right, eh? Let's get into it. An eye for an eye, you're gonna hit me, I'm gonna hit you back. Or to respond. With a value based on the kingdom economy, non-violent action. You can can continue your actions, you can continue to treat me in this way but only by accepting me as your equal and by drawing significant attention to yourself and your behaviour and by continuing down this course of action, there is going to be a spotlight shone on who you are, and what you're doing. Jesus' next example in verse 40 shows once again the value of the kingdom economy. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. Now, even the poorest person in the land had a right to keep his cloak. In Exodus chapter 22, verses 26 to 27, we read this If you take your neighbor's cloak, As security for a loan, you must return it before sunset. The coat may be the only blanket your neighbor has. How can a person sleep without it? If you do not return it and your neighbor cries out to me for help, then I will hear, for I am merciful. Once again, Jesus' example assumes an injustice is being done, that the legal action that's being taken is both unjust and unfair. By being poor, being sued as the inferior, it was easy to be taken uh, taken advantage of. So, faced with someone who is unjustly suing you, taking the shirt, as it were, off your back, you are faced with three options: one, to acquiesce. Okay, look, I'll let you have your way, and I'll just give in, and you can have my shirt. To fight okay, I'm going to fight for my possessions as well. You want to do this? Well, you're going to have to claw it out of my hands because I am not going down without a fight. Or respond with values based around a kingdom economy, non-aggressive action. You want my shirt? Well, in the presence of all these people, I will not only give you my shirt but I will give you my cloak, my coat as well. God will judge you for your attitude if you keep it but also if you've given someone their undergarment, their shirt and you're giving the cloak as well, the outer garment, there's not a lot of clothing left. You will be actually standing there naked before the courts and it's interesting that in the culture of the day for someone to be naked is not shameful for them but for you to view someone who is naked was shameful for you. And so in doing so, the victim, the person that is being unjustly treated is actually drawing a light on, not their circumstance, so much as the behaviour of those around. Shame falls on the viewer of my nakedness, not me. So in doing so, the seemingly superior, the oppressor, would be embarrassed and shamed in front of his peers. In the third of Jesus' examples, we see a further predicament in verse 41. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Now, remember that Rome occupied Israel and the Jewish people were subject to Roman authority. And as a result, and under Roman law, which was applied in the day, a a Roman soldier could come along to any man as he's walking along and say, hey you, carry my pack. And that person had to carry the Roman soldier's pack for a thousand paces or almost one and a half kilometres. But a soldier, a Roman soldier could never force someone to go any further than a thousand paces and there were markers along the road. So at the thousand pace mark, the load would be returned to the soldier. Once again, being deemed as a, uh, by the soldier as inferior, the person was faced with three options. Acquiesce, I am your inferior and I will carry your load and accept my, lot, my place in life. Or, I refuse to carry your load for you, no way, I am not going to do it and there could be hell to pay as a result. Or respond with the kingdom value of economy. I am worth as much as you, I am your equal. But not only will I choose to carry your load for a thousand paces, I will keep on carrying it. I choose to continue to do this. My choice to do so would raise the attention of the soldier 's superior, the centurion. And if a soldier was seen to be having someone carry that load for more than a thousand paces, or yeah a thousand paces, then the soldier would uh, be liable to punishment themselves by the centurion. They could lose rank. They could lose the portion or the the style of food that they were being given, rather than being given wheat, which is the, the better grain. They might have been given barley as their food source. Or they could be told to stand outside of the centurion's tent all day long as punishment for doing this. Going the second mile puts the soldier at risk of possible punishment and seizes back the initiative. Can you imagine the Roman soldier walking free as a bird, you know, with this this Israelite person carrying the heavy burden and it's 999, 1000, 1001 and the Roman soldier's thinking, no, no! And he's trying to pull this, this load off the back of this Jew who is continuing to carry this load, he's thinking, no, don't do it, don't do it, give it back, give it back, give it back. Our reading in earlier in Acts 16 was a great example of this with Paul, unjustly thrown in jail while he was at Philippi, when they were told, hey listen, release them, let them go, it's okay, they've spent their night in jail. They could have just slinked away. They could have gone to the courts as Roman citizens and claimed the unjust treatment and demanded retribution. But rather, they cheekily confronted evil that happened to them by calling for the city officials to come personally and apologise to them for their unjust treatment of them. We are your equals, Paul was indicating, and as such, we are going to confront your unjust treatment of us and shine a light on your behaviour. Some years ago, I believed I was unjustly treated in a church that I was pastoring in and I was faced with a few options. Some encouraged me to keep a lid on things and to wait it out, hoping that the situation would eventually change, hopefully change, hopefully for the better. And I could have done that and I've seen other pastors that have done similar things and, and while they've waited, they've looked around for another possibility as far as another church to go to. And I could have sat there and waited, bided my time, and and when I left just fudged the reasons for my departure, saying God was calling me elsewhere. Or I could have stayed and I could have fought for what I believed in and in an unjust situation but I chose what I believe was a third way. Hopefully, what I believe was a better way. I gave a principled resignation and advised the church while I was leaving. This allowed a light to be cast on a bigger issue that was at play in the church and an opportunity for this to be addressed by the church without my role being a bargaining chip or without me being accused of manipulating the outcomes. In Matthew chapter 5, it is a falsity to think that Jesus encourages us to give in to evil and let it have its way rather than just giving in we could instead choose to respond by getting even, so well we won't get give in what we'll do instead was we'll get even, but that ends up having us perpetrate our own forms of evil in that situation, but the value of the Kingdom economy calls us to look at things differently, to creatively address and point a spotlight on the injustice, just like Reverend Martin Luther King did in the American Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s. Another gentleman, a theologian Walter Wink, took a revolutionary look at the passage of Matthew 5 and speaks about Jesus' call for us to choose a different way to respond. And he wrote about it in his 1992 book, Engaging the Powers. Another gentleman by the name of Thomas B. Leninger um, provides us with a bit of a summary of Wink's work, which is on the screen and I'll read it out. In each case you give the oppressor more than he asks for, in such a way that it becomes more difficult for the oppressor to oppress. Be endlessly creative in discovering the third way, non-violent direct action or non-cooperation with evil. It's not about finding some middle ground of compromise between retaliation and capitulation or running away, but to creatively highlight the wrong being done In order to overcome evil. The values that are expressed in this response are your own humanity and dignity as a person of value, the good of the oppressor seeking his or her transformation, justice and right relationship between you and your oppressor without violence, expanding the power of the least powerful to achieve the above in any situation. Suffering for the sake of goodness and truth only when this best way when this is the best way to preserve it, the value of the way of the cross. And the means of the response, Thomas goes on to say, expose the injustice of the system, break the cycle of injustice, humiliation and violence, by refusing to cooperate with them, interrupt the vicious habits. Find creative alternatives to violence. Deprive your uh, oppressor of a situation where violence is effective. Stand your ground and take control of the power dynamic for the good of the situation. Challenge the oppressor to make decisions for which he or she is unprepared. Challenge the oppressor to see you in a new light. Seek the oppressor's transformation. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist through retaliation, an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. So what has Jesus been saying to you today? As we have an opportunity to respond now, if you've got those response cards, I'd invite you to pull those out. And there's a couple of questions that I've got on the screen for you to consider. Perhaps you're in a position of power, you're in a position where you are the superior, it might be because of a function in your role or in your office. Does the love of Jesus flow through to those you have authority over? When you think of your role, your function in your workplace or in your responsibilities, wherever it might be, do you allow, do you encourage the love of Jesus to flow through to those you have authority over. Perhaps for you today, you feel powerless and are faced with evil actions pressing in and oppressing you. Ask for Jesus to help you to reflect on the values of a kingdom economy, to creatively turn the other cheek, to give more of yourself, to go the extra mile, to have a generous spirit in seeking the best for others. The response card starts with, Dear God, it's an offering of a prayer and I would encourage you to respond in prayer today. As you fill out those cards, we're going to have some music played and then um, after a little while, we'll um, have the team come up and lead us in our final song and during the singing of that song, I'll come and collect those cards. God bless you.